Well, good morning. Welcome again to Grace Hills uh, as our children go to Children's Church, uh, though in many ways what we're going to be doing is uh, trying to learn from this, uh, this group that's leaving because the, the message title is Childish in a Good Way. And I would say after already what we've done this morning, uh, this is a great topic, isn't it? Uh, you know, we can be childish, but are we childish in a good way? Or are we childish in a way that um, is not considered helpful, but maybe uh, more hurtful? And so before we do that, let's look at the Lord in prayer one more time. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks into our lives, and we pray that in the simplicity of your word and the power of your word that we might be drawn to you, maybe for the very first time, or drawn into a deeper way, or see how this week we can live out our faith in ways that people can see Jesus in us. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. If you've been with us uh, for this series in the book of Ephesians, and even if you haven't, uh, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by one of uh, the fully devoted followers of Christ in the first century, uh, the Apostle Paul. And he wrote to a group of uh, believers, just like we would write to a group today, and those group of believers were called a church. And so he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And he wrote to them, he, he wanted to encourage them and exhort them to know what they had in Christ and to know how to live it out in Christ. And his challenge with them is it's really not so much in life who you are, but whose you are. It's not what you have done in your own efforts, but what Christ has done in you through his work on the cross. Uh, we began this service in a, in a time of thinking about the cross. And we'll be ending our service by thinking about the cross. And it really is all about the cross and what Christ can do through the cross in your life. Paul wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 2, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And really what that's saying is God's work on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ, ought to make a mark in your life as you've embraced him by faith that has made everything now different. Everything has changed because you have made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And as we read through the Apostle Paul's writings, he urges people to understand who they are in Christ before they try to figure out what they are to do in Christ and how to do it. Well, we've spent many, many weeks, months, actually looking at whose we are and what Christ has done in our lives. Uh, you can't act like a child of God until you are a child of God. But what we want to do in these number of weeks as we look at how God points us to living out our faith at, at, um, at the church gathered together, we ought to worship God, honor God when we meet together. We ought to worship God in our homes. We ought to worship God or honor God where we live, where it be, whether it be at school, in our neighborhoods, at work. But we ought to reflect who Christ is. But, but how do we do that? There's a passage, there's a number of passages that mean um, so much to me in terms of try how I, I try to govern my life. Some of you have heard uh, this before, but probably my favorite passage is found in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, verses 57 and 58, which says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what I like about that is I always like winning rather than losing. It's always much more fun to win than lose. And in Christ, we win. And sometimes we feel like we're losing in this life as we see things around us. But look at it. I've read the end of the book, and we win. But in the meantime, until we get our ultimate victory in seeing God face to face, the Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren and that's generic for everyone. Uh, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so whatever we do for the cause of Christ matters. It matters eternally. And so whether we think it's a little or a lot, it makes a difference. 
But there's another passage that really strikes me. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. In the New American Standard, it, it goes like this, the, that translation of the, of the Greek New Testament. It says, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just fearful that, that somehow, just like the enemy, the serpent, led away Eve for the craftiness of his temptation, that you might be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Uh, you know, pastor types like me, we, we can complicate the Christian life very easily. In, in fact, sometimes people remind that to me when I have 25 points in my sermon outline, right? Well, this morning is, is pretty simple. And hopefully when we give more detail on a Sunday morning, you, you don't miss the simplicity of what we're trying to share with you. There's, there's complexity within and depth within living for Christ. But it all begins with us understanding that we're simply and purely ought to be devoted to Jesus Christ. Well, this passage speaks to that. And we're only going to look at two verses this morning. And the, t- the title of the message, as I've already shared with you, is Childish in a Good Way. Uh, Paul, as he begins to give bullet points for them to live out their faith, puts it pretty clearly. And, and we're going to see that this morning. Uh, in your outline, I began it this way. The, the biblical and practical challenge. Therefore, the passage, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, when you read it in its entirety, it, it, you can see the, the, the complex complexity of it and the depth of it. But if you break it down phrase by phrase, it's, it's pretty simple. What does God want us to do if we're going to live out what he's done in us? God has made us a new creature. He has allowed us to participate and experience the divine nature. He has given us all his magnificent and precious promises. He has empowered us by his spirit who lives within us. And, and now, so, well, now what do I do with all this that you've given me? It's like coming, you know, all of a sudden being given maybe more money than you've ever had. Now, what do I do with this money? Or maybe you've realized all the different talents you didn't think you had, and now you have them. Now, now what do I do with these abilities? And, and so Paul puts very plainly some things for us this morning. And, and if I were to put in three I, main ideas, it would be this. How do we live out this journey of following Jesus? Number one, simply be imitators of God. Just just imitate who God is. And we're going to look at the how. Well, how do you do that? Well, the first part, therefore, be imitators of God as dear, what, children. So how are we supposed to imitate God? Just like a child imitates the people around them. Just, just think of how a child thinks. Act like a child acts. In a good way, in terms of learning life's lessons, learning how to live in a way that is significant and purposeful and meaningful and filled with joy and everything else that, that life can, can give us. You know, secondly, live, live a life of love. And again, he gives us the how in that passage, well, as, as Christ also has, what? Loved us. So if the greatest thing in this entire universe is love, and then that ought to govern how we see the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ and living it out is. It's, well, just live a life of love. And we're not sure what that looks like. Just look at Jesus. And then he talks about at the end of that, uh, that Christ gave an offering and a sacrifice to God. 
Well, the other thing to understand about the Christian life, it's a, it's a life of sacrifice. Be, be sacrificial. Be selfless. And if you want to have a clue as to what that means, just look at God's word because it describes what a selfless life is all about. Well, we're, we're going to try just to go through this passage and just make some simple observations. And I hope at the end of this that all of us uh, reflect this week about, okay, how, how am I doing in imitating God? And if you've come this morning, you're still looking at this Christianity and just trying to discover, are you going to be all in with it? That, that's, that's your first step. But once you make that step, okay, how, how do I live that out? And it begins to understand that we simply look at God and say, I, I want to become more like God. And, and how I can best do that is, is think it from the, the lens of being a child. You know, sometimes we as adults, and this happened to Jesus, and you're going to look at this, this next, next week as you go through the, the, the Sermon of Ace Bible study, looking at how Jesus confronted children and how the disciples responded in not the most positive ways as they saw the children. But children many times teach us what we ought to know because we've we've been on this planet long enough to know but we don't really know and we're doing things we know we shouldn't be doing and yet somehow we we forget to look at life simply as a child in a few moments we're going we're to show you I, I i saw this on my facebook this past week about uh smoking kids i don't know if any of you saw that but what i'm going to show you just how, how significant kids can influence how they see life and how maybe we ought to see it Isn't that an amazing picture of life? Is as they had the children asked to get a light, get another cigarette, whatever it might be, they, they began to lecture the kids about the dangers of smoking. And, and it wasn't until they began to sift through that they were modeling the exact opposite, weren't they? And as you think about it, any any habit a, a child picks up, is it's usually because somehow they've imitated the habit of somebody else. I don't know if you've ever looked back in your own life and, and 
maybe dreamed a little bit, and, and maybe when you were growing up that you had done something differently. Uh, maybe because now you're trying to do something that's a little bit harder for you now than it used to be. Any of you would like to know a few more languages than you don't know now? I just wish I had taken this language when I was growing up. Why? Because for some reason, you know, children, they have this desire for knowledge, and and they they, they don't know they're not supposed to to learn. And so they just learn almost naturally by observing and and listening and, and tracing what other people are doing in terms of not only just drawing, but just modeling and, and following after what someone else does. And if you've ever been a coach, and, and if you've coached people at different ages, when you get an athlete who's never played the sport, sport before, whether a child or later on, and they don't have any bad habits, and you're teaching them from ground level how to play the sport, they pick it up so much better. And as we think about if we take, think about just children on, on its normal way of life, have, have, you, have I told you I'm a grandfather yet? You know, you know, you know it's interesting. Is we, were, we were taking out pictures of, of uh, both of Lori and, and Mark when they were babies, and, and, and you can just see the resemblance of both of them in that child they birthed together. And as, as you think about being a parent and now a grandparent, but particularly as I look at my kids, you know, you, you look at them and you can see not only the physical resemblance of, of their parents in their lives, but you, you can begin to, p- to pick up some of the things they picked up in, in your life and your, your spouse's life. And I usually tell you that all, the, all my kids' good traits come from their mother and all their bad traits come from their father. But, but it is humbling, isn't it? You see some things that you're excited about because they've, they've traced your life. And then there are things you look at their life and say, I just wish they weren't looking. You know, and, and, as, a, and as, a, as an adult, um, looking back, you just say, I, I, in fact, one of the commitments we made as parents is it, we didn't want to be involved in anything that we didn't want the kids to be involved in at the same time. So it was off limits for them, was off limits for us. Because we knew they were tracing. They were, they were watching. I, I, saw, I saw one little picture of one of my kids this, the other day as we're going through the, the pictures. And, and I'm out mowing my lawn and they're out with this little toy lawnmower. And, and they're mowing it as well. They, they just followed the example. Now, if that is so powerful on a human level. And how, how, how effective it is on a human level then we need to understand that the Christian life can be seen through that lens. That, that we want to be like a child. And a, and a child, we know that, that, that children have a sin nature and, and they're falling after their own ways as well. But what makes a child so, so effective in learning is they know, um, they, they, they know what they don't know. They're humble. They, 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 they want to be that sponge to pick up skills or abilities or languages or sports or, or a musical instrument. How many wish you went back and you could pick up the piano or what other, other instrument? Because you, you know that they might be much more, much more open to, to learning whatever you would like to have that skill now. And so when we come in in the presence of Christ, which is every time we open this book, it's, it's for us not just simply to learn more information but discover in a new, fresh way to re- be reminded of old truths, that this, 
this is this is the goal. This is God's plan for us, our lives is to be all that we can be and, and take the best picture and model our life after it. You know, I've told you before that um, and maybe I was stunted in my growing up years, but I hate doing jigsaw puzzles. All right. I can't. If it's got more than eight pieces, then I'm, I'm done. All right. Eight pieces, normally six. All right. When, when Hannah Grace gets beyond eight, that's beyond my skill level. All right. But even with eight pieces, if I don't know what that's supposed to look like, I, I can't. I, there's something wrong with my spatial abilities here. I can't seem to put the. But if you can see what it's supposed to look like. And for those of you who do those thousand pieces or whatever numbers of pieces you put together, you know, you, you know, you, you've got you got something on the box that tells you what it ought to look like. And see, that's what the Word of God does. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter eight. I, I've kind of gone away from my notes here. I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to say this morning, but we'll we'll uh, we'll look at some things. Look at Romans chapter eight. Uh, you know, uh, just a straightforward passage that. That often we turn to Romans eight twenty eight, but we, we need to see the whole passage there in terms of what the goal is. In, in Romans eight twenty eight, this, this is the great promise in God's word, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And that's a great promise for us because, as we understand, there's all kinds of things that happen in life that aren't good. Would we agree with that? I mean, things we go, God, I can't understand why you allowed that to happen. And, and but we can by God's word, we can we can we can see that he has a he has a hand in everything. And he can use he can use that which is not even good to be good in our lives because it will there, there's a greater purpose. Uh, I I was out of town on, on um, Friday and Saturday I came in and and uh, one of our uh, members in the first uh, second service, Geneva Allen, she's one of our deaconesses and she is just a gracious person. Well, she was visiting some, some people, in, or some of her family in Oklahoma, and she went to a rest home, and then she came home, and, and she was feeling fine. In fact, she was out to dinner with a family member and said, I, I, I feel so good. I, I'm just, I don't know what it is. I, I'm just feeling really good right now physically. Well, that night she came up with what she thought was a stomach flu, she had, and then it got worse. She ended up having me rush to the hospital, and she picked up something that they thought was like E. coli while she was in Oklahoma. And it's, it's some kind of bacterial whatever. And, and they just had a team of people going through ICU for two days. Now, here she was doing something good, going to a rest home. And what they, they've traced it, they figured she picked it up at the rest home. Some kind of bacteria in Oklahoma that she brought it back to her in California. And it began eating up whatever. And she had actually a heart attack. Now, they're hoping there wasn't any damage with a heart attack. But you look at that, and you go, how in the world did this happen and why did it happen? But what's so, and it's amazing to me, not only in talking with her, but then talking with uh, one of her sons, is that her attitude is, well, God allowed that to happen, and I'm just going to take the best of it and just trust God. Because Romans 8 28 doesn't, there's a, there's a, after verse 28, there's a verse. 29, you guys are very good. Right? Romans 8, 29 says this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to who? To the image of his son. That he might be firstborn among the brethren. And then it goes on. He, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. 
And we will not be fully like Jesus until we see him face to face. Uh, write down this reference. 1 John 3, 2 says that when, when we see him, we'll be like him. But in the meantime, everything else we do on this earth is to become more like Jesus. And, and God will use anything and everything in our life to conform us to his image. Both the good and what we would consider the bad. And he will use it for good that we can become more like Christ. That we will rely upon him more fully and completely. And of course, that's what a child has to do. You know, Hannah Grace cannot be left alone for any extended length of time because she can't fend for herself. She can't feed herself. She can't bathe herself. She can't do the other things that, she, that parents do when things happen when the child. Can, she can't do any of that, right? And she, she is dependent upon her parents and those around her love her. And see, that's what it means to be an imitator of God as as a dear child, is to depend and rely upon and then understand that, that as she goes through life, that hopefully she'll be more like her mother and more like her father. And that responsibility as a mother and a father will drive them to become more like Christ so that their child will be more like Christ. The Apostle Paul, and in... I think it's First um, Corinthians eleven one says, "Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of me, as I am imitators of Christ." And so, as we think about how people see Jesus, they see Jesus through other people who know Jesus. And we, in childlike faith, in humble faith, want to begin tracing our lives, modeling our lives, seeing our lives is to be the example that other people can follow. So they know they can become more like Christ. You know, in, in first Peter, cha- in first Peter, chapter one, verse 14 through 16, in case in case we want to make sure we understand the model. In fact, go ahead and turn to that first Peter, chapter one, verses 14 through 16. This whole idea of of understanding that the natural experience of life is to become like those around us and particularly uh, the people in our lives that are most significant. And the most significant person, of course, in our lives is, is, is God Almighty. It, 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 this is what he said in verses, uh, we'll start at verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your, of your mind, be sober, and, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which, which just simply saying, this is a God thing. This is not just a self-help program. But in verse 14, he says, as obedient, and what's the next word there? Children. Not conforming yourselves to the former lust, the former ways you live, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. You know, I heard this as my parents raised me, and I'm sure I said this many times to my kids as I raised them. And when the, when the, when the, the stress of becoming like everybody else was strong. And when maybe there was an area that I would not allow them to participate in, the, the, the response back was, well, everybody is what? Everybody is doing it. Now, sometimes what everybody is doing, that's fine. But sometimes what everybody is doing, that's the exact opposite of what we ought to be doing. 
And when we think about God saying, I am holy, and so you should too also be holy. Now, part of that is involved in in purity and being as far away from sin as we can get. But part of it is even more simpler to understand. It's simply that, that we are called to be separate. We are not supposed to be like everybody. And so as we think about being imitators of God, we need to recognize this is the road less traveled. This is not the road that everyone goes on. It's that narrow way. And often, if we want to have a picture in our mind, what it means to be a a, a Christian, often it's the exact opposite of what everybody else is doing. Because to be holy is to be different. Later on in in Peter, he says we are to be a peculiar people. Not not that we ought to be strange and, and, and people want to be run away from us, but that they see there's something different about us. So childish in a good way. Uh, to be a child of God means that, to, that we are an imitator of God. A- and we are to imitate him so that our character would become more like his. That, that we would be what God has made us to be. Well, let's move on. In this two-verse section that we're looking at. After he says, therefore, be imitators of God. And it's the word mimic in the, in the original language. It's the word mimitai, which means... To just to follow after someone example, it's like the child. Remember the child uh, game, follow the leader. Someone does something, and you do exactly what they do. That's the idea here. Okay, and then he goes on and, and, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us. Now, you don't have to be in church too long to realize that you know it's all about love. You know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That Whosoever believe in him should not perish, but everlasting life. As we understand the definition of love, the Bible says God is love. If we look at the most familiar, probably chapter, one of the most familiar chapters in the Bible, it's, it's read usually at about every wedding ceremony that I've ever been in. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, it is not brag, it is not arrogant, uh, does not seek uh, that which is unbecoming, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You all have got that memorized, right? Okay. It, it, the Bible says a lot about love. But sometimes the more we hear about the love, the more we, 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 we kind of go, what, well, what is it? What is it that I, I live a life of love? Well, I think it's essentially found in John three sixteen. for God so loved the Lord that he what? He gave. Love is about going through life, realizing that we are here not to get, but to what? To give. Now, that's a radical different way to live. As I'm living for Christ, am I, am I living a life where I'm only concerned about getting or is the primary purpose of my life to give? And we're not just talking about financial things here. We're talking about giving of ourselves, giving of what's sometimes important to us at that moment. And we are looking at being that which gives out rather than takes in. There's a passage you might want to look at. In 1 Corinthians 16, 14, it says, Let all you do, let all you do be done in love. Uh, love is Primary in action, but it's also an attitude. It's not only what you do, but how you do it. Are, are you doing to build a person up? Or are you building, doing whatever you're doing to tear them down? Are you lifting them up or are you messing them up? 
In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 18, it says that we ought to be fervent in our love for one another. And love covers a multitude of sins. The idea of being fervent in love, it's interesting. That word fervent really talks about, in the original language, about a muscle that's stretched to its limits. We have in our culture very easily, it's said that, that people fall in, in love and also very easily, what, fall out of love. And that's why Paul urges us, uh, Peter urges us in that passage to recognize that we are to strain ourselves to the point that we recognize we go to the limits of who we are to demonstrate love and care for another. That we don't give up in our love. Love never fails. But if I were to take a passage in Scripture that really speaks about Jesus loving in a way that just overwhelms people. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. This is, a, this is an interesting passage about, well, how, how can I love like Jesus? I mean, Jesus is God. You ever, have you ever pulled that one on yourself? Well, you know, I know I'm supposed to be like Jesus, but I'm not God. and You know, I can't do what he did. Well, we missed the whole point. One, number one, he's living within us. Galatians 2.20 said, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I live. It's, it's Christ living in me. And, and the life which I now live in the flesh, this earth suit, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. So, so how do I live more a life of love? And, and again, as I'm preaching this, I'm preaching this as much to me as any of you out there. Okay? This, this is the call for God, to be imitators of God. I'm, am I doing that like a little child follows his, his parents? Or more importantly, their grandparents? No. Okay. Yeah, and I, am, am, I, am I living that kind of life? Am I tracing him? Am I following after his pattern? Am I mimicking his attitude and actions toward people? And then, well, how would that, how, how, what's, a, what's a marker for that? What's a mark of love? And what is love? It's, it's not so much trying to get, but to give. It, it's seeking someone else's highest good. It's, it's both actions and attitudes. It's not only what I do, but how I do it. But what if, I, what if all of a sudden my love seems to be drained out? I don't have enough love to, to pass around. Well, Jesus told this, uh, this account is recorded for us. Then one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city was a sinner. Uh, when she knew that Jesus sat in the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and, and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the, with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he, he spoke to him, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a what? Sinner. Now, I don't think it's reading too much in the passage. He saw her as a sinner. What did he see himself as? We don't know, but it wasn't a sinner, right? And, and she came to... To Jesus, because she knew that from Jesus she could get forgiveness. For for Simon, he didn't even see himself a sinner. He didn't even see him his need for forgiveness. And not only did he see not see himself a need for forgiveness, she, he did not see her as worthy of being forgiven. So Jesus is all aware of this. He knows that, but he knows Simon doesn't know it. So so he goes on, and, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. 
He said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And denarii was basically a day's wages. So one earned, one uh, owed um, a year and a half of salary. Okay, years and a half wages. The other had maybe a month or something like that. A little over a month, maybe two months. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. When we don't love like Jesus, and that's what we're called to to do, isn't it? To live a life of love. And how do we do that? To to love like Jesus. And when we don't love like Jesus, we're we're like, like Simon. The reason he doesn't love like Jesus is because he doesn't think he needs Jesus' love. And the reason he doesn't think he needs Jesus' love is because he thinks his sins, if if there are any, are are minor compared to everybody else's. And so what Jesus was saying, not not that this woman had the capacity to love more than anybody else, but that the reason she loved more than anybody else, particularly him, because she saw her sin as God saw her sin. And when we don't love like Jesus, at that moment in our life, we've forgotten how much he has loved us. If we want to put a how-to on remembering how much God has loved us, remember how much your sin has been forgiven and how much it cost Jesus to pay for it on the cross. In a few moments, we're going to be going to the communion table. It always, always reminds us. That he took the penalty that we justly deserve. And whenever I need to love more, I simply need to realize how much I've been forgiven. I was reading one author this week, and they said that self-righteousness is shown when we forgive little. And love is demonstrated when we forgive much. And when we wonder how we can do that, which God calls us to do, which seems to be overwhelming, it's simply to be reminded how much our sin cost Jesus on the cross. How are we to live out our faith? Be, a, be an imitator of God. Just as a little child, child follows the example of those around them. We want to follow the example of Jesus' life. How are we to live a life of love? Just to simply love like Jesus and love like we have been loved by Jesus. And then finally this morning, it goes on in that last phrase. Jesus gave an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The Christian life needs to be marked by being sacrificial. And we can do that by just looking at how the word 
of God describes that. Since I've already shared with you some of my favorite passages, I might have shared you one more. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, it says, It's the love of Christ that controls us. Some translations say it compels us. Others say it constrains us. It, it just pushes us out. And then it, then it, then it illustrates, well, what, what will that love that pushes us out do? But for love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that he died for all, that they who live shall no longer, and here's the point, live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. As we think about the model for us to live, it's described so powerfully in Scripture. And it's illustrated so powerfully in the life of Christ. In John chapter 13, it says that, that Jesus, as he gave the disciples that first last supper, that first communion experience, as he, be, as he broke the bread and gave them a cup, and it's illustrated in other gospels as well, that, that he illustrated that, that what that was to be, the significant transformation in their lives as they embraced him by faith and, and, and were following after him. And then it would be a life of service. And he illustrated that because he washed their feet. Now, if you read that account in John chapter 3, you forget what happens next. But if you, if you turn in, in to Matthew, and I'll just let you read this at home this week. But in Matthew, well, let's look at Luke. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 27. What's interesting, after Jesus washes their feet, and he sends out uh, the betrayer, Judas. There's a discussion off on the sideline by the disciples. And you know what they're talking about? They're talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. I mean, I wonder, I wonder what pecking order I'm at. I wonder, you know, Peter, James, John, they're kind of closer to Jesus. But maybe, maybe I'm the fourth, I'm the fifth, or whatever. Maybe they thought they could even jump over the first three. Right after he, he gave them the demonstration that, that, he had, that they had to serve others. See, we, we need to be marked as people that, that deny self and depend upon Christ. That, that we, we recognize that, that we want to be imitators of the God who came and sent his son to sacrifice everything for us. We want to, want to live a life of love because that's how we have been loved. And we don't want to be concerned how other people are thinking of us or what pecking order we are in life, but we want to be servants, simply being givers rather than being so concerned about receiving. I read a story this week from a man named uh, John Francona, I believe it was. And this was, uh, this was the story he told in response to one of the other stories we read about Jesus and the woman who just demonstrated her love by weeping over his feet and washing his feet with her hair. A young girl whose face was disfigured with smallpox, sobbing at the story that we have just read, asked the preacher, will he ever come again in reference to Jesus, the one who forgave the woman? I've heard that he will come again. Will, will it be soon? preacher uh, responded back. He said he could come at any time. But, but why do you ask? And as she continued to sob, she said, sir, can he wait a little while? My hair. Isn't long enough right now to wipe his feet. 
God wants us to imitate his son, to love like his son, and to serve like his son. Because of what he's done for us on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we ought to be overwhelmed by the sacrifice that was made for us. We ought to be filled with joy because of the presence of Christ in our lives. We ought to be continually challenged by the call of Christ to live lives that are marked by, by love and by service. Help us to live a life uncommon. Help us to live on that path that's less traveled. Help us to live lives marked by the love of Christ. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.